so we're on part three of the book of Proverbs, uh, the path to blessing, road to ruin. This one is wisdom personified. Uh, that means that wisdom becomes a person. Uh, and that's what we're looking at today. Lady Wisdom is her name. Uh, and that's what we, we look at for the whole of Proverbs 8. Uh, this is kind of a continuation still from the uh, from last week in, in part because we still have this being a letter, a plea, as it were, to the sons or son uh, that the father is writing to. Uh, and so it's still a instruction to the young uh, and the simple in this particular regard. Uh, but still, it still applies to all of us, no matter what age uh, you are. So there's no getting out of it just because it uses the words young and simple. OK, so uh, what it's encouraging us to do is to embrace wisdom and to persevere on its path. In this chapter, wisdom, <clears throat> as I said, is personified as a woman uh, and it's called a literary device, a literary device. Say that right. Uh, that occurs in uh, previous sections, Proverbs 1, we see it, uh, and again, we'll see it in Proverbs 9 as well. Uh, although it's slightly different, as I say, from the previous chapters, it still uh, is continuing on, as we've seen in verse 32 towards the end, when he says, O sons, listen to me. So a continuation, but specifically, we need to look at this on its own uh, to understand what it means. This section, this uh, chapter... Uh, points to the covenant Lord as not only the source of all wisdom, but also the creator of all that exists. He is the only way to life eternal. And that is what we will look at today. So let's look at our first few verses. Uh, Proverbs 8, uh, verses 1 to 5. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate, leading into the city, at the entrance, at entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. I've got a slightly different translation uh, that's probably maybe a bit more direct. Uh, simple ones learn prudence. O oh, fools, learn sense. Uh, and we can probably testify of what we see around us today. O oh, fools, Putin, please learn sense. Please, please learn sense. O oh, politicians, please learn sense. O oh, governments, please learn sense. This is not just common sense. This is godly wisdom coming in and leading as God wants them to lead, not to rebel or do it in their own power but as we begin what we find is that wisdom is for everyone no one is excluded uh, that it's freely available to those that hear and respond to the call this picture of the gates it represents uh, the central location in an israelite city where the leaders would gather so wisdom lady wisdom with nothing to hide is absolutely available to everyone She's found in the most prominent of public places. Again, we need to be clear that this does not mean that wisdom will just fall into our laps or into our heads. The significance of the word call in our text here suggests that this is a call that requires response. Call and response. 
There's a call that goes out, people must respond to the call. What we can understand from this is that wisdom does not hide itself from people. What we learn from that is, of course, that if that is the case, then people are stubbornly, stubbornly choosing. That's loud. Stubbornly choosing to go the other way. Choosing the other path. And it cannot be underestimated what these gates mean. Wisdom is beckoning people with a call to come and enter into the town or the city of wisdom. It's beckoning them to walk through the gates. So she stands at the gate, she calls, like we might do, let's say, let's take the church, we might stand outside and say, why don't you come in today to our service and join us? They can't just stand outside and expect to get the service or expect to be part of what's going on here. They have to walk in, they have to respond, they have to react to the call. The call is going out to those who are naive and ignorant to cry out to people to receive discernment so to take on wisdom. We can say, without trying to puff ourselves up, we can say that if we believe in Jesus, we have responded to the call. We have accepted wisdom, God's wisdom, that Jesus came to save us. That we have moved from a place of naivety and ignorance into a place of acceptance and love of Jesus. But these people described as simple, again, and not a reference to stupid or an inability to understand, as that would probably give some people the excuse. The root word of this word, simple, as I sort of explained last week, but there's a, a kind of more helpful meaning to this, it means to be an open door People who do not want to know what to keep in or out of their minds. Maybe like a door you see in a restaurant that goes to a kitchen, that opens both ways, that goes backwards and forwards. It just keeps opening no matter what goes through it. They're, they don't stop. They don't stop at the door. They don't let anything filter. They just say, I'll accept whatever comes through the door. I'll accept whatever goes out of the door. Today I believe in this. Today I don't believe in this. It's without the sermon. So God is calling to all people to make a responsible choice, to have some sense and be prudent. But the call is more than that. Because what we learned last week is that it's going to cost to follow Jesus. There is a price to pay to follow Jesus. It's going to cost to accept and take on godly wisdom. Because we have to give up our own, sometimes addictive, nonsensical foolishness in rejecting God. It says your sense cannot be the same as God's. It cannot be modified or slightly different or just slightly tinkered around with to make it like God's. Your sense has to go receive God's wisdom instead. That is a tough call for many people. To accept that our own sense, our own wisdom is foolish. And to say, I don't want my wisdom because I know it's foolish and I accept it's foolish. And then to accept God's wisdom. That's to accept that we are sinful. That's to accept that we're broken. That we cannot do this on our own. 
I think Jesus sums up here uh, in these verses I'm about to say, uh, about to show you, uh, is that being wise is important in order to know what it means to accept him as Lord and Saviour. That when we're faced with the choice of accepting Jesus, make sure you know what you're accepting and that you know what Jesus is asking of every person. Uh, Luke 14, verses 14 to 35, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, uh, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a, gr a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come for everything. Come for everything is now ready. But they will... They all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought a five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. And he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Key verse, if there is anything above Jesus, cannot be Jesus' disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? See if you have enough money to complete it? What Jesus is telling us to use some sense? Where do we see that? We might have seen it in Proverbs once. Use some sense. Plan, understand, what is Jesus asking of those who believe in him? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure part. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear let them hear. Ends in an incredibly similar way to our Proverbs, the call to sons. Oh, my sons, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Listen, digest, process, understand the cost of following Jesus. Jesus addresses the point as it is in uh, Proverbs 8. Don't be ignorant and foolish, he says, when accepting, when, it, when wanting wisdom, when wanting to accept who Jesus really is into your life. 
Proverbs 8, 6 to 9 says, Herefore I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. We're in a slightly different verse, aren't I? Let me read that again. For listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. Um, I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Move on here to our next section. Lady Wisdom describes the character of her words as noble and right, as truthful, as righteous. Then in verse 9, she says, they are all straight to him who understands. Give you a slightly different uh, uh, version, so you maybe help you understand. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. We see over and over again in the Bible, instructions for us to hear. And this has to do with receiving them down into our inner being, into our soul. When we open our inner ears up to the things of God, we shall grow in understanding, for he is truth. Wisdom is absolute truth. Those who are wise speak nothing but the absolute truth. Anything but truth is displeasing to God. I'm sure you've noticed today that much of how the world and society in general understands truth has continued continue to move away from an absolute truth to a fluid truth. Or from an objective truth to a subjective truth. Obje objective truth is true for everyone. Whether they agree with it or not, it stands on its own as fact. Subjective truth is an opinion and cannot be tested against reality. Now there are places, there are times for both these types of truths. For instance, subjective truth, being my opinion, is important in understanding my opinion on something. But only when I know it's just my opinion and how I feel about it and understand it's not true for everyone else. What we find now, as we look around society, is that a person's opinion of who they are or how they see the world is instantly being qualified as true. Merely because we said so. The world, unsurprisingly, is seeing more and more people in powerful positions around the world make up their own truth. Putin and the war in Ukraine is a fine example of this terrible way of making up stuff and then claiming it to be true. He literally made up a whole truth on his own to justify his actions. That is what happens when we go to the end, the absolute extreme end of elevating our opinionated truth, our subjective truth, and denigrate, denigrating or uh, demoting, it's probably a better word, 
objective truth. Truth that is true for everyone. But the same road leads to the same place, no matter how fast or slow you travel on it. We might see an example in Russia of an extreme end of so-called truth, of so-called making up stuff in order to have an excuse to start a war. But then there's always other uh, ends of the spectrum. There's other parts of that which might not be so extreme. We can sometimes find that smaller, what seem insignificant, subjective truth, opinions, can start to unravel real truth, can start to take apart everything that we know to be absolutely true. If I say the sky is a luminous green and say it's my truth, everything I do and say is based around that subjective truth. It only takes one thing that I decide is true, even if it's not, to start unravelling everything that I believe, that I say, that comes out of my mouth. My life is lived in lies, as it were. So everything starts to unravel. I start to agree with myself. If I make a statement, I can say, but it's true because I said so. Wouldn't it be terrible if I stood up here and said, everything I say, you have to take as absolute truth. That's not true. I'm merely someone here trying to interpret what God is saying. So for you is to test it against absolute truth. It's found here. Here is absolute truth. Test what I say in this. I'm not scared of that. I put a challenge to you. But wisdom says of her words that there's nothing crooked or perverse in them. Because of this, the words can be understood. They are plain to him, to those who understand. There is a clarity, as a straightforward character to wisdom. One that contrasts with elaborate so-called hidden truths and mysteries. God's word is the only objective truth that can speak to us without bias. And speak to the very core of who we really are. The oddly unique thing about the Bible is that it is penned by people inspired by God. But it does not go out of its way to elevate those people and make them sound really great. The fact that the Bible does not do that and that it was even penned by people surely in itself tells you that this must be objective truth. It doesn't promote the human being. Whereas I would argue most other religions tell you that you're the centre of the universe. Christianity does not do that. The Bible does not do that. The people that wrote the Bible don't flatter others or themselves. They say things like, we are sinners. What other God can you find that in? What other text can you find that in? Who does that? 
Let's move on. Proverbs 8, 10 to 11. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Desire that which is not of this world, in other words. Why? <clears throat> because this world is peddling cheap, worldly, knockoff rubbish. It falls apart and it cannot be taken with us. Worse still, the world peddles uh, and is expert in lust and pride. The best way to compare this, maybe for those that need to understand through imagery, is to compare how knowledge of God compares to the things of this world. Should we see? I'm going to show you an example of the things of this world. Trotters, independent traders. Have you ever seen uh, Only Fools and Horses? Do you know what it's about? It's about family. They get knockoff stuff and sell it on. They buy stuff that's broken and they con people into buying it. It's great comedy, by the way. It's fantastic comedy. I still love it today. But it's a representation of what the world offers. It offers cheap, knock-off rubbish. It offers rubbish that is uncomparable to what God can truly offer. Even to the point, as we learned a few months, a few months ago, that the devil tries to pretend to be the Trinity, as we saw in the book of Revelation. He pretends to be God. He pretends to look like God. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, uh, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So we saw something similar in Proverbs chapters 1 to 7. Here we're told not only to not follow the road to ruin and its evil ways, but it says, in gaining understanding to fear the Lord, that it should take us so far towards godly living and godly understanding that you despise evil. That so far do you want to press into God and be away from that, that it does not, you do not want it. You don't want it in your life and you want to completely reject it. Reverence for God, fear of him, is not neutral towards evil. This quote here from Trap, uh, it's not there. Missed it. Let me check. Oh, it's a good quote. There. I'll have to go back now and look at the other one. God's people partake of the divine nature, and so have God-like both sympathies and antipathies. Dislike, that is, sympathies and dislike. They not only leave sin, but loathe it, and are deadly feud with it. We learned earlier that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is reverence to the ultimate when speaking of God. God hates evil. If we are his, we hate what he hates. Not hate what we think he hates. 
we hate what the word says he hates. Wisdom hates what God hates. The highest virtue is humility, submission to God. And so wisdom hates pride and self-promotion above all. Here we're being told what wisdom is. It explains in our verses that wisdom is strength. It's not occasional as if some moment of inspiration. It's not that suddenly you receive a bit of wisdom. People say, wow, thank you, that's so wise. Because it isn't inspiration. Wisdom is the constant unchanging revelation of God to the believer. So the believer is able to consistently and constantly live in the righteousness and way of Christ. It is not one-off moments. It is not one-off things to say. Wisdom is constantly accessible all the time. That living to Christ can only mean that we don't live to anything that is substandard to him. What God has and what he can do is better than anything man has and man can do. He will not accept those who purposefully try to have the reward God offers whilst also purposefully taking the substandard reward offered by the world through evil. You cannot have both, in other words. One must be sacrificed for the other. Leaders, kings, rulers and princes all rise and fall on, the, on either the desire for wisdom in God's ways or the folly of man in his ways. Those who love and pursue wisdom will find themselves rewarded. They'll find wisdom and the blessing wisdom brings. Maybe even to the point that wisdom seeks out her followers to bless them. But we know that's what we don't seek wisdom for, primarily. Blessing is as a result of seeking wisdom. And so when it comes, we're grateful for anything and everything that God gives. Let's look at these. Proverbs 8, 22 to 31. The Lord uh, brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long uh, ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. Uh, when there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. God used wisdom and intelligence in the design of the universe. This is no accident, people. We were talking about yesterday, uh, we had some strawberries yesterday at home, uh, and we were talking about 
How lucky, in quotes, this fruit comes about that we can eat it and it's tasty. How lucky is that? How lucky is it that we have things that we can grow and eat? How lucky is it that we can breathe the air and not die? I could go for a whole list. But there is wisdom and intelligence in the design of the world. If we represent wisdom as a person, then it can be said that wisdom was with God in creation. In the beginning, before there was ever an earth, God used wisdom in making something out of nothing. We need to be clear that as we read the first verse of this section, that we understand that God always possessed wisdom. There is a school of thought for some people that God created wisdom for himself. Now, the problem of that road that we go down is that we would suggest that God was stupid before he had wisdom. God would need to be ever wise forever and ever through eternity. The verses do not tell you that, he, that wisdom was created after God was there. He didn't create it in the sense that he created it afterwards, as if God had none and then needed it, but he always possessed it. Obviously, these verses can also represent Christ, and that he was with the Father during the creation of the universe. But again, even taking this as Christ, it is an ever-existent, non-created Jesus we read here. Jesus was not created in a godly sense, or in the sense of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They've always existed forever as three in one. But here is the point. It's shown that God uses wisdom to create the universe. What we are to take from it is that everything that God created was wise, just, and correct. That included us. Despite our failure to honor God, and, and, fell to, and we fell to sin, he knew from the beginning that his wisdom would always prove right. Let me say this. He didn't make a mistake when he made human beings, okay? Let's not go down that road because it's not a good road to go down because the scripture doesn't say that. God knew from the beginning of time that there is a redemption available when we fell to sin. God knew ahead of time, knows every single outcome, depending on your theology, knows every single outcome of every single option of every single choice. We are his creation. We are also his because we've been purchased by his shed blood on the cross through Jesus Christ. We are not our own, he owns us. We are his possession. And we have been ever since he created us. As wisdom is God, so he delighted in his creation. God loved, loves what he created. John 3, verse 16. You know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He so loved what he created. That shouldn't be a shock or surprise. Even in, as we read this verse, we understand even at this point that we know now that Jesus is coming to save us, that Jesus is paying the price, that Jesus is going to die, that Jesus is going to be resurrected. Even as we needed that, and as sinful and broken as we are, God so loved the world. By the wisdom of God, the universe was created. Just as the word is Jesus, wisdom in this sense is too. This is the wisdom of God that we see here. This is wisdom far beyond our comprehension. Because as Christians, we sit on the other side of the cross and we say, now I recognize how, I, how broken I am and how in need of Jesus I am. Why did you do that? I don't deserve that salvation. I don't deserve it because I recognize how broken I am. I recognize how in enmity, an enemy of God that I was. And yet you still gave your life for me. I think this, this little part here is great for those who want to compare with Genesis. Because I know the first thing is, well, does it line up? Are all the things the same order and in the same way? Are they written in the same way as Genesis? Well, they are. The verses from 24 to 36 parallel the creation account. The earth with day one, water with day two, and the land with day three. These events in Proverbs line up with what's already been said in Genesis. And I hadn't realised, uh, by the way, that when I was reading this, I hadn't realised that Proverbs tells us the shape of the planet. Do you know that? I didn't know that. And for a long, long time, as you know, history, human history tells us that people believe the earth is flat. And apparently, and unfortunately, it's coming back into fashion. But do you know it tells us that it was round, that it was a globe? I've got it here, verse 27 to 28. Uh, I, was, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. Uh, some say that's a, um, it's a circle. It doesn't have it in our translation, but the actual close translation is that he drew a circle on the face of the deep. And the Hebrew word for circle indicated that the earth is a globe. Isn't that amazing? And so the horizon is circular. All that money we spent going up there, and we could have just looked at the Bible. No, no, we've spent all these millions and billions of pounds, guys, uh, all to find out that what the Bible said was true. It's a globe. And so guess what the astronauts saw when they went up and they looked at the Earth? They found a globe. Solomon finishes then as he started. Proverbs 8, 32 to 36. Now my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life 
and receive favour favour from the Lord. For those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. By addressing what he says, sons, this section not only concludes wisdom's appeal, as we saw in previous verses, but also draws together all the paternal appeals that we looked at last week, as sharing her overall purpose, wisdom's overall purpose, to extol the benefits of wisdom for faithful covenant living. Here it is simply stated, as we've looked at today. Hear, listen, watch, wait, and find. In sometimes subtle, but maybe sometimes obvious ways, the world, the flesh, and the devil wants us to think that we will somehow lose by listening to wisdom and keeping her ways. Instead, blessing comes to those who not only listen to wisdom, but are willing to inconvenience themselves to seek her. They are willing, it says, to watch daily at her gates and wait at the posts of her doors. Their pursuit of wisdom is intentional, not accidental. I've got this quote I have. Clark says, Wisdom is represented as having a school for the instruction of men and seems to point out some of the most forward of her scholars coming through their intense desire to learn even before the gates were opened and waiting there for admission, that they might hear every word that was uttered and not lose one accent of the heavenly teaching, blessed are such. Maybe the same way we can picture this with Jesus uh, sitting at his feet. Maybe the disciples who are just eager to hear the next word Jesus has to say. How eager are we to seek God's wisdom, even before wisdom is bestowed upon us? So we need to continually develop a love for God's word, to the point that we're not only going through reading the words, but the words jump off the page, like the living word, that it comes to life in our life. Lady Wisdom claims that she is the way to life, and therefore to miss her is to love death. There is no in-between. There is no accident. There is no excuse for saying, I, don't, I didn't know about Jesus. I didn't know about God. God says, and if we believe the Bible to be absolute truth, which it is, God says it's available to everyone. Everyone is without excuse. And so what they do instead is for those that are rejecting it are actually rejecting the word of God. But this foreshadows Jesus Christ as the only source of life. So to reject the saviour is to embrace death and to miss, miss eternal life. Hebrews 12 verse 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Lady Wisdom holds out promise for blessings in this life, but also points forward to the source of eternal life. To find wisdom is to find Christ. This book is all about him. 
I'm going to leave you with this verse and then we'll go into worship. John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We'll pray that we continue to seek the Lord in this way and know that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, to being with the Father in heaven. And we'll pray for those who don't know him. Pray that they don't love death. Pray that they love life and accept Jesus. Let's pray and then we'll worship together.